0: The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was Relationships, and Radical Mentoring hosted a track called Activate Your Men, Transform Your Church. That's where today's audio was recorded. Make sure to go online and download a free ebook written by their founder, Reggie Campbell. It's called Fill Your Seats. Download this ebook at no cost to you by going to discipleship.org/slash radical. My name is Kevin Harris. I'm the Executive Director of Radical Mentoring. Uh, we've been walking through our series called Activating Your Men and Transforming Your Church and specifically this session we're going to talk about measuring disciple making results. So we started, if you were in here, some of, we've got a couple of repeat customers so you may hear a little bit of the same stuff. I'm gonna back up a little bit for the sake of some new folks in the room. We started yesterday talking about how do you engage men in a distracted culture, a culture that pulls us in a thousand different directions at a thousand miles an hour. What are some things we can do to get men to sort of step back in? We opened it up a little bit and had great conversation about um, maybe needing some better programs, maybe not men feeling like they just don't need to go to church. Maybe we've been there before. Um, I was Baptized as an eighth grader at Guest Road Baptist Church in Durham, North Carolina, but that was not, that was when I became a fan of Jesus, not a follower of Jesus. And so I think sometimes we check the box of being a fan and assume that maybe we don't need to go back to church. That's not a place for us. Interrupts our tea times, the kickoff at noon, whatever those different things may be. Uh, session two, we talked about revitalizing your church from the inside out. So we talked about if you can get a core group of men engaged with you, locking arms, reading the same books, going through the same content, going through the same process, if we can get the men, then we know that that will overflow into the families, which will overflow into the communities, which will only serve you and your church better. This session we're going to talk about measuring disciple-making results. A couple of things that uh, that you've got, or one thing you've got on your seat, you know, we put the things in the seats to keep people from the back, but as we know, if men are coming in the room, we're going to sit in the back. So I probably should have put them all back there first, and then, uh, then I'd have to yell more. Um, we're going to talk about the process. I'm going to reference our website. Um, I'm going to show you a couple slides from the website, but at any point, you can log on to our website, which is radicalmentoring.com forward slash disciple maker. And register for an account, and you'll find all of our resources. They'll all be available on there uh, for you. So, Radical Mentoring, um, we're a nonprofit organization. We operate out of Atlanta, Georgia. Several of you in the room um, have come up and spoken. Some of you are using our content. How many of you, just for, for sake of the room, how many of you are using Radical Mentoring or have been in a Radical Mentoring group? Okay, perfect. How many of you, um, when when you hear the word mentoring, what are some of the initial kind of first words that pop into your mind when you hear that idea of mentoring? One-on-one. One-on-one, right, good. Training. Training, right, good. We hear a lot of the one-on-one is probably the most popular answer that we hear. And so we are a small group mentoring process. That doesn't mean we discount the one-on-one We believe our process gets you a little bit of the group mentoring. It blends in the one-on-one mentoring, but oftentimes when you think one-on-one mentoring, you think about yourself and maybe another guy at a coffee shop. Maybe you've been paired up. We met with a church in Oklahoma City a couple weeks ago and they've got 100 mentors trained for one-on-one mentoring. But oftentimes you think, well, what, are you going to t- what do you want to talk about? I don't know. What do you want to talk about? And you kind of stare at each other, kind of going, or it's like a forced marriage where you're supposed to talk about a business issue, but neither one of you knows each other well enough to fully engage in that mentoring dialogue. And so we want to introduce a group mentoring process that has elements of one-on-one mentoring in it. All the resources you will find on this website are free to you. We're funded by men and we're funded by churches who've been touched by our ministry. And so we don't expect anyone to pay anything for something they haven't experienced yet. Now, what happens over time as churches go through a, a season or two of radical mentoring, we will ask if you'd be willing to donate to us so we can pay it forward. There is no set amount. There is no expectation that you do that. Over time, though, we do see our churches come back and fund us because churches who are giving to us now are helping us do things like discipleship.org to be at these conferences and help talk about the process. Reggie Campbell who was here yesterday, he's a little under the weather. Some of you in the first session, um, Reggie mentioned three years ago he had a lung transplant and when he gets a little under the weather sometimes we just tell him to go bathe in Purell and hang out in a hotel room somewhere. So um, we may see him later today, I'm not 100% sure. wrote a book mentor like jesus and then myself trey brush who's here in the back of the room trey does a lot of our church relationships we've got another gentleman who's at the home office um, who does a lot of our media and marketing we really run the organization on a day-to-day basis the model that um, reggie came up with is really not anything new Um, as he mentioned yesterday at one point um, he woke up outlined a book called mentor like jesus um, in about 15 minutes because what he realized he was doing his frustration as a one-on-one mentor was he was meeting with all these guys all over the place and he was having coffee at all these waffle houses all around Atlanta and he'd be at a Starbucks and he'd be pouring his life into this guy and then he'd look at the table next to him and there'd be two empty seats or he'd be fo- kind of putting gum on a dam a guy would say I've got a business problem where I have a marriage problem or I've got some kind of an issue and Reggie would kind of take the piece of gum out and put it on the dam but he could kind of see that the dam at some point was going to break but he couldn't quite get there in those one-on-one relationships and so um, when he outlined the, the book his process began by going into his library and pulling books off the bookshelf that meant the most to him opening his Bible and finding the scriptures that he had highlighted connecting the scripture with the topic and the book coming up with some homework assignments. Um, lo- I, he would say, love, dear. That book came out and they had some marriage exercises in there, so he pulled some things out of there and created a process. But the, the idea of mentor like Jesus, and we've got, uh, don't buy this copy, it's got a rip in the back. Um, I can give this one away. The idea was, in Jesus' model, he was on purpose, completely self, selfless. We know he didn't, he didn't really get anything, well, we got a lot out of the process. Jesus didn't get anything out of the process other than just pouring his life out into this group of men. We know he started with a group. You don't see a lot of one-on-one time other than sort of the some of the application things. He handpicked his mentees. He sort of knew the the kind that he wanted. He, he knew they weren't necessarily the most qualified. He would just pick guys that would gather around the table. He mentored for a short, defined period of time. Um, we have a nine- and a 12-month mentoring track um, that we we think seems to be the right dynamic. Scripture was at the core. He obviously referenced back Scripture. He wrote Scripture. We don't have the benefit of doing that. Um, but Scripture was at the, at the core. Prayer was huge. He taught his guys how to pray. Uh, he taught along the way of life. It was not necessarily, all right, guys, today we're going to talk about this topic. Come over here. It was... What are you experiencing? What's going on in your life? Let's talk about that particular thing at that time. Incredibly transparent. They were committed to each other and he required multiplication. So those, those are all outlined in the book. Um, my experience is, is, with radical mentoring is sort of threefold. Uh, in, 2000, in, in the fall of 2001, I got an email from a a guy that turned out to be Reggie, that I didn't know at the time. And it was, um, if you'd like to be in this group, basically uh, write your obituary, which is really kind of a vision statement for your life, right? And so I was at that point um, 25, newly married. um, And so my experience through Radical Mentoring came as a mentor, excuse me, as a mentee. Now I'm on my second group of guys that I'm mentoring right now through our church in Atlanta and in the last four years I've done a lot of work here with Reggie doing work through, uh, through radical mentoring working with churches of all shapes and sizes. Components of a radical mentoring meeting. I think this is an important thing to talk about. On the front end you have a retreat which is kind of a story retreat where men share their stories. <gasps> On the back end you have a graduation, a commencement retreat. In the middle you have these monthly three-hour meetings. Now half of you in the room are thinking one of two things. One would be, how do you get anything done only meeting once a month? It's a little bit counter-cultural. We like like weekly meetings. It feels better to have weekly meetings. And the other half of you are probably thinking, what in the world do guys talk about for three hours in a month? There's only so much Redskins football or Braves baseball that you can talk about. So three hours seems like a really long time. So here's the process. And again, that process is outlined on our website. There's a topic. So maybe the topic uh, for my guys right now, we're doing a session on fatherhood. So they're reading a book called How to Really Love Your Child by Ross Campbell, who's unrelated to Reggie. And they're going to write a one-page net out, a summary of that book that's not a critique of the book. It's what did I get out of this book that I can apply to my current situation as I'm raising my kids. My boys are 9 and 12 so we're in a some call it a sweet spot some don't call it a sweet spot and it depends on the day in our house oftentimes. Um, We have these guys memorize scripture so they're memorizing scripture by keywords so that they can then start to pull those scripture out when they're in situations we're completing growth assignments. We give them a homework assignment that may be related to their marriage, it could be related to their own spiritual development, it could be related to kind of some one-on-one things they're going to do with with another guy in the group, and so they're going to do those growth assignments. They're going to have community with each other, so they're going to see another guy in that group one-on-one every month that's going to rotate around. Our group sizes are typically around six. One or two mentors to six to eight mentees is typically that group size. They may see the mentor doing some one-on-one time with that mentor, so you see those elements of one-on-one mentoring throughout, and they commit to pray for themselves, their mentor, and the other mentees. For example, growth assignments, um, we have one that's called, um, we call it love note, which is basically we ask the guys to leave a love note to their wives in a place where their wife wouldn't expect to get it, and then just sort of see what the response is like. So they can just get a little bit of glimpse of that. Sort of if I'm going to be selfless and I'm going to write this note and I'm going to tell her everything I loved about her from the day we first met kind of a thing, but I'm going to put it on the coffee creamer so that when I'm gone in the morning, she opens the refrigerator and there it is and and start to measure that. So they take that assignment and they talk to each other about it. So that happens all in between the story retreat on the front end and on the back end, um, the graduation retreat. So as, as we mentioned and Reggie mentioned yesterday, he started doing this by himself starting in 2000. and It was just Reggie, a group of guys, he had eight seats around his dining room table so we had eight guys come into his, to his house for 12 months, meeting on this once a month cycle. It is not scientific, it was literally eight seats, books, scripture, homework assignments, let's try this out and see, and it hasn't really changed all that much. Uh, 2007. One mentor like Jesus came out, Reggie tested it in five churches in Atlanta, and they sort of, some would do it, some wouldn't do it. Um, Some of the conflict that came out of that and some of Reggie's frustration was there were a lot of churches that said, yes, we'd love to do this, and then as he approached them near the end, they would say, no, I changed my mind, I don't want to do it anymore. So so we sort of wrote, I'm not going to say we wrote off the local church, but we got very frustrated because the local church would say they were going to do it, and then they wouldn't do it. So then we focused on independent mentors, guys like Reggie, some of you in the room, who just have a heart to do this, who wanna, who wanna gather men around their table and spend time with them. The challenge with the independent mentor is, you may have a thousand guys that say that they're willing to mentor, but then you ask them, do they have six or eight younger guys that they could, would come into their house and they go, I don't know how to find those guys. And so the tension was, Church may not necessarily be doing what they said they were going to do with us. Independent mentors have a heart to do it, but don't have the men. And so a board member said, you've got to go back to the local church. And you've got to give it away. That way you remove all the stumbling blocks, all the hurdles that would be there. And the churches can experience the life change. Because at the end of the day, most churches have older, wiser guys who are seeking some purpose and some calling in their life. And churches have younger guys that are showing up every week or their wives are showing up every week who are wanting to connect with older, wiser guys, but they don't know necessarily how to make that bridge gap, and the older guys don't necessarily know how to get into the lives of the younger guys, and so the church has got a unique way of getting those groups together. And so in the last three years, um, we've seen pretty intense growth, and I think it's really two things. Number one, I think God is trying to do something to stir in the lives of men that's a little bit out of the box. And I think giving it away and providing support like Trey and I do. Most days we're on the phone with two to four church leaders staff or church leaders or church lay leaders a day helping them think about how this might fit. So we're now in about 225 churches, 300 churches that we're talking with. 2,500 churches that are kind of poking around with us. Um, we've seen 7,000 men mentor and 820 plus mentors. We want to see 20,000 men mentored in this process by the year 2020. And at as, as a church that's expressing interest, they've simply gone to the website and created an account, and they've accessed the process. That's that. Then, what happens from there is um, you'll begin to not necessarily get pestered by Trey and I but our desire is to connect with you on the phone and help you navigate as I tell folks the good news is we give away all of our resources the bad news is we give away all of the resources so if there's a question you have more than likely it is somewhere on the website and it's available to you but it can be a little tricky And so Trey and I's job is to spend time guiding you in preparing, launching, and sustaining men's small group mentoring. And that's kind of why Trey and I get up most days, um, because we want to talk with church leaders who are just trying to figure out how do you get this to stick, not just for a, a season, how do you begin to get it to stick for a generation? And how do you begin to sort of see this thing go from multiplication, one guy with six guys, to next year it's three groups. And you see this multiplication begin to happen, and all of a sudden, you've got a group of men at your church who've all read the same books, who've memorized the same scripture, who have committed to confidentiality with each other, who've done the same homework assignments. And there's an incredible synergy that begins to happen in the local church when you have got these group of guys sort of going through that same shared process together. Today we're going to talk about measuring um, disciple-making results. Questions, comments so far? Great question. Yes. Yeah, we, we talked a little bit about it yesterday, and we talked about this idea that words matter. Um, so Reggie, neither Reggie nor I are seminary pastor guys, and so Reggie called it mentoring at the very beginning because that's just what he, he was doing. He was discipling. We think there's a subtle, again, um, there's a subtle cultural shift happening that there may be some men that see the word discipleship and they may think either I've been discipled already, right? I go to church every Sunday or I watch it online or I listen to a podcast or whatever. So you've got a group of men that think I've already been there, done that. You may have a group of men that think I don't think I got something happened. There's some shame. I'm not, I don't think I can be in a discipleship group. And so mentoring is, um, I'm not going to say broader culturally relevant, I'm not going to say it lowers the, say lowers the stakes a little bit, but it makes the entry point feel like it's more accessible. I mean, for me, I thought I was going to go into a group and I was going to get a mentor, but I was also going to get to rub elbows and network a little bit. And what happened is I began to experience an older, wiser guy who was just taking what was given him and he was dumping it out, and we were all trying to catch it with the goal of us dumping it out again. And so it is discipling, it's leader development. We see a lot of these different terms sort of pop up around it. We see churches use it in all those different contexts, but we just think it sort of, it, it, it shifts it slightly out of the, yeah, it, it, to, it just shifts it slightly out of the church term discipleship and, and allows it to kind of step in a little bit. Guys who've experienced it, is that a fair answer? Ken, you want to comment? Very good. Teaching versus training. Yeah, that, the idea of teaching along the way. Um, we talk a lot about, contextually often times, churches are a little more content driven than they are relationally driven and mentoring is more relationally driven and we take the relationship and we apply the content into that. So we have guys, Talking about theology. We want them to understand their identity in Christ. We want them to understand grace. We want them to understand their prayer life. And then we want them to get them to shift outward and make a turn where they go, okay, I've got all these things um, never figured out, but I'm more comfortable with kind of who I am and whose I am. How do I apply that in my marriage, in my workplace, in my parent relationships along the way? And so we we kind of have a deliberate process. The other thing we do. In here, we talk about the story retreat. We think the most significant thing that happens in these groups, and um, you're about to experience it. Dan, have you done, you've done your stories already? Are you about yes. to? Yeah, We're one of the most, the same you yeah, one of the most significant things that happens is the guys show up the first night, depending on how, what, how the structure is, but they're gonna show up at the mentor's house. We think it's important that these groups don't happen inside the four walls of the big C church. We think that there's just a little bit of a ease. We can relax a little bit. People think these walls have ears and there's a reason why AA meetings were started in the basement of churches, because it just felt like it was a little more of a comfortable place, right? So we want them in the mentor's house. Because the mentor, again, to your point, he's teaching them along the way his way of life. And my guys show up, and sometimes my house is a wreck, and my kids are screaming, and there's stuff all over the place. And I just want them to see that. Um, So I I unpack my story. So the very first thing that happens is the mentor unpacks their story for those guys. Not the Sunday school version of the story. Not the over-exaggerated, hanging out with the buddies version of the story that we sometimes like to tell. But the true, authentic, you know, here's who I am, here's who I was, here's where God stepped in, here's where God redeemed, here's where God changed, and here's where I'm still struggling. So if that mentor is willing to go all in and share the story with the goal of not glorifying the sin, but glorifying the redemption in the story, but helping them see that it wasn't pretty along the way. The second thing that happens is the story retreat where then you get the guys out of their comfort zone. You spend 24 hours away with them or you can do a full day of retreat time where they're sharing their stories. And you get these guys to then share their stories. What happens is if the mentor goes all in, then the guys will come in behind it and they'll begin to unpack their stories. And once those guys begin to unpack their stories, you will hear things like, I've never told anybody this before. Um, you'll hear things like, I th- or at the end I thought I was the only guy in the world dealing with this issue. And All of a sudden you realize that there's three other guys around the table who are struggling with an anger issue towards their wife or towards their oldest child and all of a sudden, once those walls begin to come down because the stories are shared, the acceleration in that group happens above and beyond what often happens with men that have met together for ten years at a coffee shop somewhere because you're just creating the space for these guys to go all in then they're coming back in and they're having the dialogue around the stories and I've got a whole lot more permission than to share something or I can't show up again and say my wife's not because at some point Ken's gonna say Kevin that's the third month in a row you have said that don't come back next month and tell us your wife's not what are you gonna do differently And we're going to talk about it, and we're going to hold your foot to the fire so that you know that we're just not going to allow that behavior to happen because you don't have a choice. You're in this group for a reason, and we need you to step up as as the leader of your home. Peter Drucker, who's the great business mind, says you can't manage what you can't measure, right? So if we want to measure results, and we want to manage to those results, we at least have to sort of identify whatever those uh, things are. So the question, I think, becomes, is it statistics and, or is it stories? We were in a church, again, a different church. We were in Oklahoma City a couple of weeks ago. And we walked in, and the church had a big, kind of a big uh, TV screen, and it said 967 salvations. Again, awesome, Right? North Point, who Reggie mentors through North Point, they say, we want to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, right? The tension that North Point was beginning to feel is they were leading people into a relationship with Jesus, but the growing part wasn't quite what they wanted it to be. So oftentimes when we think about statistics, we can lose the stories in the statistics, and if all we think about are the stories, then we lose the statistics. And so we're, there's no right or wrong in this, but I think if you can try to capture and begin to capture both, and I can speak maybe more specifically around, um, around men. Our experience has been, yeah, the statistics matter, and, and we'll sort of put the front up. The mask will be around, oh, that's impressive. Oh, where, where are your, what's your growth rate quarter over quarter? And we can kind of fake our way through that. But when you hear somebody else share a story, and the gut check begins to happen, and you start to go, "Oof," where you start to go, all right, I'm going to step into that. The stories is where that life change begins to take place. So how do you measure, this is audience participation, I know it's early, how do you measure uh, engagement at your church today? Y'all can just throw out whatever works, it may help somebody else in the room. What are you measuring today, managing to? Okay, good. Small group num- number of people in small groups number of groups yeah good so a little bit of that both statistic and story what what's going on around the table and what are they are they moving from one to the other yeah go ahead yeah. perfect so you get a little kind of that full full gamut top to bottom great thank you anybody else have anything different unique you think well that's buildings and budget buts buildings <laughs> and budget yep baptisms baptisms good yeah so it's never easy that's right you got to I'm going to have people with different backgrounds and, and different um, philosophies. North North Point, as you know, is a groups church, and so the only um, the only me, the only thing they publicly talk about is the number of groups. The struggle that North Point and other groups-driven churches have is well, how do you, how do you manage what's happening inside those groups? And so when we talk about mentoring or, or being in a mentoring group. Um, We're not asking a leader to stop doing anything and then focus on radical, that's on a mentoring group. The power of that monthly three hour meeting is we don't want you to leave your small group because if you leave your small group and you go over here to do this, then what happens to the small group? Then it sort of flails around for a little while, right? Small groups have a really intentional purpose. Your best small groups may not be great teaching Your best small groups may be just helping get the church a little bit smaller. It's a great community. It may be you meet three out of four weeks a month, but if you're not there, that's okay, right? Mentoring groups, we want to elevate that, and so we'll talk about along the way, and you guys, please ask ask questions. Um, We talk about guys signing a covenant commitment, saying they'll be at every meeting. They'll read every book. They'll do every homework assignment they'll do all the one-on-one with the mentor and with the other guys in the group So we want them to sign knowing what they're committing themselves to we want we want that covenant document to be the opt-in or opt-out for a guy where he can look at his age and stage of life and go I think this is I can do this or this is just probably in the right time for me and so having guys apply and having them sign a covenant having them bring their wife approved calendars which I know sounds, if I could tell you the number of times where I've got stuff on my calendar that I hadn't, or my wife has stuff on her calendar that she's probably told me a dozen times, and we finally figured out that Google's a great way to manage our calendar so we get everything in one spot. I'm not going to say I've ever forgotten an anniversary or a birthday, but I might have at some point (laughs) in the last 18 years of marriage. But having him bring that calendar sort of goes you know, you, you want your bride to know or your husband to know what you're, at, what you're going to be a part of. Because if you're in a group like this for a season, there are going to be nights when kids go down and you're, having, you're reading a book on prayer. And you're reading a book on fatherhood or whatever it might be. And you want your wife to know that this is, this is important to the family and the direction of the family. But there's going to be some sacrifices that have to be made. So that's why we ask for all those things up front. There's a question over here. That's a great question. Uh, let me see. I think I've got it in here. I can't remember. No, 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 no. It's a great question. We, and I, I may hold that for a second, okay, sure. but do not let me leave without mentioning that because um, that's critical. There's two critical things that churches, when I get a call or Trey gets a call from a church, there's two things that we often hear when it's not working well. One of them is the, the mentor may not be right. We talked about most of these sort of in that traditional sense attenders, members, volunteer hours, groups, baptisms, givers. Um, and again, none of, this is, none of these are bad things. They're, they're things that have to be measured because you have to manage to something. Chad Moore, who was here yesterday, who's a pastor of a church in Charleston that's been doing Radical now for about five years, he talks about kind of their 101, 201, 301 environment. In the 101, they're really looking for attenders, events, um, Sunday morning. They want to, they're want they trying to capture the people that are coming in the door oftentimes for the first time. Their 201 environment is groups. That's that easy, not easy, but a more simple next step to go big church, little bit smaller, right? Lower commitment level, um, you're engaged in your community with a group of people, that's gonna flow into volunteer hours and givers and baptisms, all those other things. Their 301 is the mentoring process. Again, not everybody's gonna be ready to do that or willing to do that and so the 301 becomes sort of that next level. So these are the people that are willing, willing to go, as Chad would say, a little bit further, a little bit faster, they're willing to make that commitment. Now, they're still in their 201 environment. So you think the 201 environment's getting better while their mentors are in the 301? Absolutely, because they've got an older, wiser guy, Chad leads groups himself, because you imagine a group of men who are spending three hours a month with their senior pastor, they've heard that senior pastor's story, which is a senior, I'm not a senior pastor, some of you may be, it's probably a little dangerous and a little bit scary to step out in vulnerability to a group of men who go pick up the phone and call the elder board or do whatever. That's why we sign a confidentiality agreement. I hate to say it, but as a senior pastor, Chad would have said, that's scary. He also would say, he sent Reggie and I a text, that the most transformative thing he's ever done in his ministry was share his story and lead a group of men in this mentoring environment. Because he's kind of up here on Sundays, and he's bouncing around the hallways, and he's having to look good, but he's now got a group of guys, who he's able to say, here's what's going on at home, and this is really hard. But those guys are then, in their small groups, their couples groups, their men groups, they're experiencing authentic leadership, and guess what? They're more engaged. Surveys, as we'll talk about measuring results, men who come through these radical mentoring groups have increased or significantly increased their giving 58%. So guess what happens? Givers are increasing, and the volume that they're increasing is happening out of these groups, which is a powerful thing. The number of groups may even multiply. You may have, uh, North Point, what they would do is they would tell their group leaders, we don't want you to be in a mentoring group. We want you to look and find the next person who you think is the most qualified to lead, and we want them to be the one that's in the group. So that they now are multiplying their groups, and they're getting people outside of that, those comfort zones, right? Do you think um, the people that come on a Sunday morning and are meeting people for the first time, Are getting a different view of the church because they've now got a group of men or women who are engaged in the process and they're much more engaged and aligned with their local church. Absolutely. So we can't discount the traditional measurement. Chip and Dan Heath are authors who um, wrote a book called Made to Stick, which is kind of a marketing uh, marketing book. They're uh, I think they're Stanford University guys. But what he says is, and this goes right back to the comment over here, statistics. Are rarely meaningful in and of themselves. They will and should, and almost always, be used to illustrate a relationship. It's more more important for people to remember the relationship than the number. Again, that idea of you got to have both. You can't go um, you can't go one without the other. Are are any of you having conversations about how you might measure engagement in the future in your churches? Yeah, there's so ministry platform was the name of that resource. There are a ton of resources out there that help you figure out how to not only how to engage but if you have a good CRM system how to also then get people to be more engaged. Anybody else have anything they're thinking creatively about how you're measuring some of that engagement in the future? And so, so you have that piece of information right then how could you transfer that piece of information into just maybe a story that would then begin to communicate that out to other members of the church? I think there's uh, maybe some guilt attached to that. Totally. You know, you know, they knew that they should be in it, but they're not, and so, hey, I'm not going to participate. And so it can be totally. Spicy in that yeah, aspect. yeah. They're not 100% accurate, that's for sure. Go ahead. Yeah, and then you have people that can then share their stories about the small group experience or the discipleship class or the discipleship, whatever it might be. Then you're finding the people who are more engaged and they're able to transfer that statistic into a story that then communicates and reaches out to, um, to others. So measuring life change, as we just talked about, is, is really hard to capture. Um, I want to share a video with you from a church that uses mentoring um, out of Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah, please. Yeah. As in and getting to, inviting them in to apply. Versus how many guys say, no, I am really not, don't want it. Yeah, and do you, you guys want to comment on that? Have you know enough data yet? To, I mean, maybe unfair for me to point. The, the first year is always the hardest. Yeah, you do. Um, question was: as you're trying to kind of assess who you want to be in, how do you sort of define what that market? I don't want to say market. What what it looks like. Um, We want the mentors to have a season of life or two experience ahead of the guys they're mentoring. So it may not be age-driven. Like, for example, I'm 42, been married 18 years, have boys that are 12 and 9. My season of life gap is newly married with either a young child or a child on the way. Because when I got off the rails in my career, it was right about where they were because somebody said, hey, travel when your kids are young. So I kinda of found that as my space. We also think you wanna have, this is not a great place for a non-believer. For a non-believer, you don't want one person to be the project of the other six guys around the table. New believers, I think, are are fine. I do think if you have um, singles and married guys, you keep your married guys together and you keep your single guys together we have a singles track that you can follow that strips out the married exercises only because if you're single you want to talk about the things married guys are talking about and if we were honest sometimes the married guys want to talk about the things the single guys are talking about but you want to keep them in their sort of same demographic group Uh, with that being said um, a guy may a guy may write a faith story. We have an application process that we, we give access to, to folks. He may write a faith story that sounds fantastic because he's really good at, like many of us have been times in our life, really good at writing a faith story. We know what to say. And so they may come into that group sort of thinking one thing about themselves and coming out on the other side realizing they, they weren't who they thought they were at the beginning and, and, that's a, and, a, and a positive change. So you do try to kind of keep some of those things together. Yeah, you could. Yeah. Yeah. Because and sometimes we also have groups that do co-mentors where you have a lead mentor and a a second mentor that's owning part of the process who maybe is further along in his walk. But he may not think he's qualified to be a mentor. And so you think it's real important for him to model you along the process and experience that uh, that with you. Great question. They did actually have some, if some of you were in here yesterday and saw pictures of Reggie in there, um, they used some of our stock stock photos. So church in Omaha, I met met with them, had dinner with their staff pastor and three of their mentors about a month ago. And three of the mentors said across the board, there was at least one person in each one of their groups who identified themselves as friendless. Just guys putting the mask on every day, stepping out into the world and keeping everybody out here and didn't have any, any friends. And so if you caught kind of the rhythm of that, it was parenting, it was marriage, it was fatherhood. Um, now that church is different in that they, um, they use that as a recruiting video. So they show that in the church service to help engage maybe some guys that they don't quite have have a reach into so they're trying to get them to step in and learn more about it so that's a little unique twist that not all churches will do some will do um, that invitation and we'll talk we can talk about that in a second um, some it's kind of that shoulder tap or, or as ken said identifying those groups of guys but that very first year you've got mentors that are stepping into a process maybe reading books that they haven't read before You've got mentees that are stepping into the process, not really knowing what they've signed up for. So the first year can will feel pretty cumbersome because you're reading along the way, you're trying to do the homework, you're trying to check the agendas and make sure you're covering everything. Once you get through the first year, then you've got a group of men who then can refer others into the process. And so then the flywheel, as Jim Collins says, starts to turn and it begins to sort of take take shape and, and uh, Take care of itself over time. <clears throat> this is another professor out of Stanford. Stories are remembered up to 22 times more than facts alone. So, again, that video is pretty powerful. We have a survey system that we make available. Once you set up an account, you'll find two things on there. And I'll show you in a second: an application with a custom link just for you, and a survey with a link just for you. So this is about 500 surveys from about 20 churches, and this is sort of the, the reporting that has come in. 97% of the men have deepened their walk with God, their 98% overall life has improved, 96% their marriages have improved, 98% they've improved as a man and a leader, 90% have developed intentional male relationships, 58% have increased giving to their churches. So you got the stories from that church in Omaha, and then you've got the statistics of what we're seeing sort of from men that are coming outside of the the mentoring group on the other side. Really, this is powerful, 12 mentors who've each led at least five groups since 2001. So 12 guys, at least five groups, dating back 17 years. There's 88 groups represented. There's 655 men represented, and out of those 655 men, you've got 16 divorces, which is 2.44%. Which is amazing. Which is amazing. Because when you can get guys into that environment, and they can begin to talk openly about things that are going on, and they've got another group of men that are talking into their lives, again, it's sort of that idea of, I'm not doing this alone. I'm not struggling with something unique that only I can I feel like only my wife and I are dealing with. Yeah? Can you give that number? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 88 groups, 655 men, and then 16 divorces, which is 2.44%. Under three. Have you compared that to like the average in the church? This is from multiple places. Mm -hmm. And we all know some of the kind of the cultural statistics of 50% and that's for, you know, that's Christians, -Christians. non-Christians. This one is one that just sort of resonates with a lot of folks because it just shows, again, it shows the the power of it's real easy to quit on your own. But if you got a group of men who are struggling along the way with you and who are talking about the same issues you're talking with, it makes it a little bit harder to be the one guy that says, I'm going to walk away from from my marriage. Let's talk for a few minutes about the website. Then I want to answer your question about mentors. And then I just want to open it up. So when you go to the website, you'll see this button up here on the right-hand side, and again, you'll get to it through that uh, web address on that flyer. Click on the My Account button, and you'll see listed four steps. Prepare, equip, connect, and launch. Four simple steps to kind of go from I'm thinking about it to getting a group going. If it's one group, you want to do, or if it's 10 groups you want to do, you can follow this exact same process. So, And again, all those resources are taught. Preparing has everything from preparing your team, how do you get your senior pastor involved, the most powerful churches we work with are the ones that have a senior pastor engaged. Senior pastor may not be leading groups. Somebody asked me yesterday, how many senior pastors lead groups? I have no idea, um, but that's not the majority because senior pastors are always thinking about the next Sunday. But it's powerful when they do, but you want them to know what you're doing. You may want them to sign an invitation to get guys to apply. Maybe saying, hey, I've identified you, Lee, as somebody in our church that we want to invest in. We'd love for you to be a part of this mentoring process. So-and-so's gonna reach out to you, or here's a link to an application if you'd like to be involved, and here's what's expected. Sort of one of those kind of things. question? I saw a hand pop up. so we kind of give you all that information equipping your mentors training sessions we think there are two specific things mentors oftentimes need to be trained on one is how do you share your story so kind of taking them through a process of writing their stories um, and then helping them understand the facilitation model this is not a teaching model this is a facilitation model that has a lead facilitator being the mentor Then over time, probably the same things happen in your group. You facilitate less, and the other guys in the group start to take over, and they start to facilitate a little bit more. And so, um, helping them understand what that looks like, how do you connect your groups, and then how do you get ready to launch the four four steps? Most people don't want to look at those four things; they just want to understand the plans, right? And so, we have a nine-month recommended plan and a 12-month recommended plan that are kind of tested from different resources from different churches that communicate back with us. You can see here sort of that flow of inner man, theology, prayer, character to outer man, marriage priorities, and church. Um, Yesterday was asked why nine months, which one's better, there is a better or worse. Um, We candidly did the nine-month plan because most churches ask for nine months. Because it just sort of fits the calendar and the schedule of the church. As you can see, you're losing a lot of things oh, just in three months. You're losing fatherhood, grace. Um, you're workplace, grace, kind of an important topic. Yeah. But you can't do everything sort of in that period of time. And so um, we, all, we have 24 topics in total. So there's other ones you can choose, but these are sort of that recommended, um, recommended track you can follow. Underneath that you'll find Trey, you've got those um, matrixes you can pass out um, for me. A matrix, Trey's going to pass one out to to you if you got one yesterday. Obviously, don't take one. If you've got multiple people from your church here, maybe just take one. But it's a one-page snapshot that shows you what that mentoring season looks like, shows you the book, shows you the homework assignment, shows you the recommended scripture memory. The other thing we've done is we have a binder. So if you really want to get aggressive and you don't really want to read the one-pager you can push this button and download 124 pages which will give you everything you need to say for each topic well I think five copies of the homework assignments from the first month until the last month all sort of in one spot and it's editable, and it's editable. yes not edible editable um, word, word documents that's actually a great point word documents or PDF I will tell you if churches change anything, they they will may change the books. We have a staff of three, and there's way too. My I think my Kindle right now has got 89 samples that I've sent that I need to get to between now and when Jesus comes back, which hopefully isn't too soon because I got a lot of reading to do. Um, but maybe it would be good if it was soon. <laughs> Sorry, it's early. You know what I mean. Um, so oftentimes you can do. There's a column where you can put your cursor in, delete that book out, and put your own book in. The specific book title is really never mentioned again. So all it says in these documents is the book. I will caution you that um, take your, if you're a pastor, take your pastoral seminary trained hat off when you think about book selection and think about the guys who read on average, 2.8 books a year. I think is what the American male reads right now. We ha- actually had a church that just did these surveys. Um, the pastor took out two recommended books and put in two great books by Tom Rainer. Very church-specific books: the Diary of the Deceasing Church and the something about dying church members. Great books. We just got the surveys back. We had 28 of the 45 guys survey. Guess what the two least, most, most, is that the most least popular or the two least popular books were? The two books by Tom Rainer. Not a criticism of Tom Rainer or the content, but these guys lost Bose Cafe and they lost this great identity book, this great identity book pulled out of it. And they just weren't, they didn't resonate enough with the guys. Now, they're great for that church topic. Because what you want to do in that church topic is you want to help these guys understand that the church has provided this for you and we want you to begin to plug back into your church so your church doesn't become a deceased or dying church right but they pulled some really good ones out to fit those other two in and it didn't quite resonate with the guys so you have the same thing for the matrix uh, 12 month matrix and binder we talked about these applications when you log into that account there's a button on the bottom that says application this link would be tied directly to your account. You can cut and paste that link out, add it into the, whatever email it is you want to send out or you want your senior pastor to send out. They click on that link, they apply to be in the group. You get an email back that says, Kevin Harris just applied, finished his application to be in your group, and you can pull all those applications out. The survey system, same way, custom link. We've laid out the questions for you. They'll give you the results that you saw on kind of that one sheet. Um, and so we, we'll let you know when they come in and we can put together a report that then shows you kind of in summary what those, what those results look like along with some of the fill in the blank um, open-ended questions so you get some more real-life feedback and we ask for referrals in those surveys as well. So if we're not asking for them, you're asking for referrals when you send those surveys out so we'll, we'll compile that data for you. 15 minutes or so, I know I have a question over here about selecting mentors. So let me start there and then we'll go here, and then we'll go there. Um, because this is a facilitation model, you, want your, you may not want your best teachers to be your mentors. Now, you, your best teachers may be the first ones that raise their hand that wanna be the mentors, but if no guy wants to hear somebody talk to him for three hours about marriage or anything. So you wanna make sure you're thinking about somebody who understands and is capable of that facilitation model. Um, Two things to consider with that. If your 30-year-old son came home and said, Lee's going to be my mentor, would you go, yes. Or would you go, I'm going to have a lot of damage control to do at the end of this nine months. So some of it's just that gut check of, or, or maybe the guy that's sort of on the periphery. He's not an elder. You know they're giving. You know he's engaged, but he sort of hasn't found the thing he wants to be a part of. He's successful at what he does. People would love to hear from him. And so maybe it's that guy that sort of sits on the outside or if you had an unlimited number of elders who were some of the other men that you would want to be a part of of that mentor of your elder group would probably be great mentors. So the, two, the when I hear feedback from churches or Trey and I hear feedback from churches it is typically mentor driven. They didn't they didn't pick the right ones or they thought it's never really intentional, they may have just picked the wrong person and so they're not getting good feedback from the mentees along the way and that's somehow tied back to that mentor. The second area is churches won't hold men to the standard that they have signed up for. So you have them sign this covenant document, you have them sign this, confident. part of that is confidentiality, part of that's doing the homework, being on time, doing all the exercises, ending on time, kind of the mentor piece, you say you're gonna start here and you're gonna end here and you, you kick them out, even if it's the middle of a sentence. You kind of say, hey, time's out, if you guys need to go great if anybody needs to stay you can stay honoring all those things um, but oftentimes if somebody shows up a little late I, great example me I showed up five minutes late to our first or second meeting couple Starbucks in the hand walked in the room Reggie is my mentor told all the guys around the table to sit there quietly and not say a word so I walk into unbelievable silence for about two minutes I sit down Reggie looks at me very calmly and says, okay, now we can get started. And you didn't waste just five minutes of my time. You wasted five minutes of the time of everybody else around this table, which was 40 minutes of time in total. Please don't be late again. Grace and truth, wasn't you're late, never come back. It was you signed this thing and you're committed to this. And so let's make sure you do it. You're gonna have a guy that wants to email out the net outs instead of having him bring printed out copies. Okay, go ahead and send it out there's something powerful about having a stack of pieces of paper and handing them to each guy around the table or somebody doesn't bring the homework assignment once that standard gets slipped a little bit then everybody else starts to follow along and you start with a mentoring group and you end with a book club and that's not what we anybody wants to sign up for so answer your question okay okay good so yeah so what you'll find on the so the two questions one was how do you kind of kind of measure it and see, rubric, that word gives me chills because that's the one my kids get now on everything. Look at the rubric. I don't even know what the rubric means. Um, So that was the first question. Second question was, do you have sort of a flow of things? So what you'll see in here is, this is your book for the next month, your assignments for the next month, and your verses for the next month. So before they leave, you may be handing them the book, or you may be saying before you leave, I want you to go download the book or whatever, however you want to get access to the book, do it whatever way you want to. Um, And so they walk away with with the firm. You're handing them the homework assignments. You're telling them who their growth partner is for that month. They're getting their really specific assignments. The other thing we do, um, which I failed to mention, is you set all of your dates up front. So also in that very first meeting you're gonna have these guys bring their calendar and you're going to spend however long it takes to get nine dates or twelve dates on a calendar which sounds really painful because it is really painful but it can be done and so you get the dates on so you're not having to go around all right when do you want to meet this time you're getting all the dates laid out somebody may have to move one along the way and you adjust it but they're getting all that yeah that's the homework yeah that's the homework yeah Yeah, so you're giving them really concrete things you want them to do either spiritual development marriage related oftentimes may not be directly tied to the book it may just be an assignment and so then in between they're gonna get together with another guy in the group they're gonna talk about that just one-on-one then they're gonna come back and report back to that into the big group Um, in terms of uh, the rubric or kind of measuring success there's we don't have a really an ideal way to do that because what happens is it really depends on the church so like north point for example um when they do that church model that church matrix thing they have everybody bring back in a personal ministry plan and they identify five areas in the church where they need they can use have people serve and it's not on the parking team it's more specific is it one is it leading a mentoring group is it being a small group leader so they give them those five things and they connect them with the individual leaders at the church who are responsible for those five areas and so they have a goal of seeing fifty percent of those men participate in the activities that they said they were going to do Um, so they really push them out to do that some of them that's is it you know mentor group how many more groups do they grow those groups may not always grow from the mentees because they may not be ready to do it but the individual measurement of the success of the group oftentimes gets really church specific so we can sort of measure the big picture but then the individual kind of back-end success for the church is harder for us to gauge but we see in a lot of different ways yeah so that that um, that statistic that showed those 97% those are the questions that we measure to on that survey so that comes back to you it helps us because we can kind of go broad and see what it looks like but then we'll give you the report of very specifically your church, what happened? Somebody did challenge me. I don't, I don't know if we're going to do this or not, but said you need to have, you may want to consider a baseline survey at the beginning. Um, we may do that. I don't know. I'm, I'm not that smart. Um, we had a guy actually help us write that survey, but that would be an interesting thing to see where you were and where you grew along the way. Um, and then the story capturing sort of, again, it happens at, at the church level. So we have a church that they do their launch night all together. That way they may launch five groups, but all the guys can sort of see who else is involved. And then they do their commencement retreat as a blend of individual mentor-mentee. And then they go, they do the individual groups, then they all come back to the church, and they do kind of a, if you've ever been to a Young Life camp, they do the say-so at the end, and they let some guys stand up and share the experiences, and so they're capturing those along the way. Our church does, we do our graduations individually, and then we do sort of a corporate graduation and we invite the guys who are being invited to apply into next year's group to come to that event so they can sort of hear some of the stories and also sort of see that it's not you know as guys we always think we're the only one being invited to participate in something it's sort of helpful to see kind of corporately what's what's going on yeah we there's a tension that lies in there in that we think getting them to memorize the verses by keyword is oftentimes more powerful than memorizing memorizing big chunks. And so we're getting them to sort of have a a retention based on keyword. We're we're picking the books that are well-versed, well-written Christian authors that are directing them back into the word. So we kind of have a, we believe that the more complicated it becomes, the less likely somebody is to apply. Guys in my group, we we did a month of uh, reading a book, the Proverb proverb a day, we did that for a month. We did a Book of John study. So some will layer some other things in along the way. Like I just knew my guys weren't. I mean, they looked at me with like cross-eyed when I talked about the Bible. And I showed mine all beat up and highlighted. And they're like. So I knew I had to press into that a little bit more. So sometimes it just depends on where they are. And then you kind of judge it and go, let's look at this. Here's a quick 15-minute-a-day study on the Book of John you can do real early. And then they have a, groups will do those group me kind of text messages. So I would send out, here's the, here's the proverb that spoke the most to me. And then some days two or three guys would respond, some days nobody would. But they were sort of getting the modeling for me of what that looked like and how do you kind of engage it. But the books were des- are designed and, and chosen ideally so that they're going, okay, this is what this says. This is the scripture he referenced. Let's begin to tie it all back in. So some of that's modeling. But... We don't, we don't intentionally not do it on the front end, but we don't want to raise the bar so that it feels like it's more of a high level class because you may not get the guys you want to step into that and then you can kind of adjust it along the way. Yeah, you'll see them all in there and then you can also, again, you can delete our books out. We have three recommended books per topic. We have time for one question there, one there, and then I think we're out. Yeah, we, we have a lot of churches um, who have done this sort of seasonally uh, the other thing I failed to mention, we don't want to replace anything you're doing. So you have discipleship, you have men's ministry, you may have other things. We want to be a piece of that because the hurdle may be too high for, other, for it to be, become the thing. Um, it may be that you're pressing those men to kind of go, like for example, the guy that talked about the cross in his son's pocket, uh, that guy felt convicted because he was driving 30 minutes, convicted is too strong a word, driving 30 minutes to that church and there were local churches in his community that he was driving past to go to this other church. And so his next step when they talked about ministry was, I'm gonna go engage, I'm I'm gonna just, we're gonna go join this church locally that I've been on the fringes of, I'm gonna kind of start this here. That's not saying you wanna tell everybody they need to leave your church and go somewhere else. That was just that guy's specific example. Maybe it's a ministry that's, a parachurch ministry that's outside of the church that they may have a passion for, or it's some volunteering thing that you can kind of engage these men in. Or sometimes it's just, guys go back and love your families better and differently. You may be doing it just to kind of get the leadership game to step up and get guys to feel a little stronger. Maybe you have two guys that go, I kind of want to see if I can't, we can't start a men's ministry that we have a series we do and we have coffee and chicken biscuits and guys can come in and we watch this and we have some dialogue around the table and then these guys are sort of more equipped so they're able to do that, have these great discussions around the table and then that may be the thing that begins to form other guys in. And so guys will just sort of, you'll see them have different hearts for different things that start to, to come out of it. But I think you, you can't standardize that necessarily. It could just be a thing where it's like, I've th- I had two seasons of this of really engaged guys who are now much more engaged in my church and then more passionate about our church. And so they're back in their communities being more passionate about our church. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. Make sure to download your copy of the free ebook called Fill Your Seats at discipleship.org radical. You'll find dozens of other great resources just like this one at discipleship.org as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.